This is Leaving Laodicea with Steve McCraney, and this is a podcast for those who realize that apathetic, lukewarm, flannel graph faith just isn't going to cut it in the chaos that surrounds us today. We need something more, something different. So join us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. For the last quite a while, um, we've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what it means to be surrendered to Him, to be sold out to Him. We've talked about what it means to take every thought captive. We've talked about, um, with the bracelets, for example, to live a life of asking what would Jesus do before we did anything, and we're coming to a close of that time together. Um, I'll be candidly blunt with you that there's nothing more that I can share that you don't already know. The, the responsibility to begin experiencing a fullness of the Holy Spirit, maybe a life more in tune to Him than you've ever known, is really now yours and mine as individuals. We've laid the foundation. We've given opportunities to do that. If you're not experiencing that, there's really nothing more to be said. There's nothing more that I can share with you than what we have already received. The point now is the fact that we have to determine ourselves whether we want to live that way. And don't let me go ahead and, and be candidly blunt with you. It is um, um, it is a tough decision because it means that the most precious thing in your life will have to step aside, will have to die, and that, of course, is you. It's your pride and your ambition and your intellect and your sincerely held convictions and the way you think things ought to go and the, the content of your prayer request, all that has to be set aside. And so a sovereign God comes in and we move in obedience and in partnership with him where he directs us to go. And sometimes, in my experience, most of the time, he'll move you in a place that you don't want to go that you feel uncomfortable going, because that's where faith is built. That's, that's, I can't do that. Trust me, you can. And when you do, faith is built. And so if you're looking for an easy road and your best life now, and what is his new book that came out, The Power of Favor, um, it doesn't exactly work that way. It didn't work that way with the disciples. They surrendered everything to him. They followed him. And so today... We're going to sum all this together. This will be our last time talking about this for this foreseeable future. And then we're going to be going back to uh, our study in 1 Corinthians that we've set aside for months and months and months. But today, I want to just talk about three things to bring this all together. It's the invitation he presents to us, and you're fortunate enough to be in that us group. So it's an invitation that he gives to you. It's a way of releasing yourself from the things that keep us tied down to this world, which is worry and doubt and fear. I can't trust the Lord to take care of this because I'm worried he won't do it the way I want him to do. I'm fearful that he's not going to do it when I need it done. And I doubt that he really sees it my way. And so when situations present themselves, whether they're 
marital problems or a physical problem or a financial problem or just problems that come our way living in the world in which we do, uncertainties out there, there's a, there's a way that he prescribes to us that we can experience the peace and joy that we sang about just a few minutes ago. And then we're going to talk about these blessings. And one thing I've learned is that if, um, if my great-great-great-grandfather was J. Paul Getty or one of the Rockefellers or something of that nature, and I had no idea that I was a billionaire, I would continue living like I was until all of a sudden somebody told me, hey, don't you realize that you had this incredible blessing? Don't you realize that the stuff you're fretting about and the people that are intimidating you and the boss that's giving you a hard time, don't you realize you have enough money to buy that company? I mean, don't you realize how wealthy you are with these unsearchable riches of Christ? Until I understand that, I can't live according to that. And so we're going to end today talking about just one blessing. That you have, and if you can, if you can wrap your mind around it and just rest on it and ruminate on it just a little bit, it'll change every aspect of your Christian life. And today doesn't have to be like yesterday. It can be totally different for tomorrow because if we are complete in Him, we just have to learn to live that way. One of the one of the things that comes with being surrendered to him and even comes with being saved is we have this union with Christ. In some mystical way, in some spiritual way that we really don't understand, when salvation takes place, it imparts some of the God or the Godhead to us, and we are found positionally in the eyes of God in Christ. There's a there's a union between us and the Lord Jesus Christ guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that is stronger than a union between a husband and wife or a mother to her children or a father to his children. It is the our brother to sister. It is the, it is the most unavoidable union possible. Jesus says, no one, nothing can snatch them out of my hands because I and my father are one and I want his disciples, Jesus said his disciples to be in me as I am in them, unified together as I and my Father are unified. He invites us with salvation to become one with him. And in the New Testament, that's described as being in Christ over and over and over again. I know we haven't spent enough time talking about that, what it means to be in Christ uh, before Jesus died or before we were born, what did it mean to be in Christ right now while we're living on earth? What does it mean to be in Christ after we're dead? And it's basically how God views us and, and how we live, and, and there's a union here. And not only that, God in Romans chapter 8 brings us into his family. Ephesians 1 talks about us being chosen for adoption. Romans chapter 8 tells us what comes with this adoption. It's not a second-class son or daughter that we are now children of God, that we're adopted into his family, and he goes as far to say that we are heirs and joint heirs, <coughs> co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, which does not mean that God has a finite bundle of riches and divides them by the number of adopted sons he has plus Jesus and gives us according to the number. It means that his riches are unsearchable. 
that they are beyond comprehension. And Christ has all that he has. And as a joint heir with Christ, you have all that he has. So much so, he is allowing God himself and the person and presence of the Holy Spirit to reside in us. That Christ has now died, and because of that, our old man has died. And so we're in, in, to impute to us, our, his righteousness is imputed to us, and now we're to live in a newness of life, not by my own strength, but by the strength of the Holy Spirit, his presence that moves within me, because I am in Christ. These aren't just theological terms. And if we treat them just in the cerebral, this, oh, I understand what that means, in Christ, that word is yon in the the Greek, and it kind of means this, and here's how else it's used, and here's how Paul laid it all out. I'm going to do a term paper on it so I can have a better understanding of that. It doesn't work that way. It's living in the reality that you are literally in Christ. And until we can get a glimpse of what this union is all about, Jesus said in John chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm getting ready to go. I'm going to send to the Father, and you should be happy that I'm doing that. And if Jesus was here with us in the flesh, none of us would be. What am I going to do when you're gone? I mean, who's going to guide me? Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to teach me things? I don't know enough right now, Lord. I I just don't know, but it's okay. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to run away from you like some alcoholic father. Instead, I'm going to send you someone who is just like me, another helper, another paraclete, another comforter who will be in you and with you. Therefore, you should rejoice. And that event took place, and we have him right now. The question is, Does he have us? Our union with Christ is a, is a byproduct. It's, 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 you can't remove it from the entire act of salvation. I won't deal with the theology of it, but Wayne Gruden in his systematic theology book I gave to you, I don't know, five or six years ago, says this about our union with Christ. He says, union with Christ is a phrase that summarizes several different relationships, catch that now, between believers in Christ, several different relationships through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include we are in Christ. And here's a marvelous one we have a tendency of overlooking. That Christ is in us. That we are like Christ and that we are with Christ. And he goes on to kind of explain what each of these mean, but I want you to realize that we're not only in Christ, but Christ is also in us. If you will, if you will wrap your mind around that, you know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in me, but what's he like? I don't know. Like some intangible force, like a white cloud, like, like, the wind, I don't know. Can, can you talk to the Holy Spirit? Probably, but it feels kind of creepy. Can you? Can He talk to you? I, I know God the Father talked because I, you know, this is my beloved Son in whom I well pleased. I know Jesus talked. I got all the red ink in the Scripture, but the Holy Spirit, I don't ever see Him saying a word. 
So how am I supposed to relate to this phantom? How am I supposed to relate to, like the old King James used to call it, the Holy Ghost, which makes it kind of spooky. I mean, how am I supposed to relate to him? (laughs) Because when you realize that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same, and that you are in Christ, but Christ is also in you. He's in you in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if I can relate to Christ, I can relate to the Holy Spirit exactly the same way. Because he's giving to us another of the same kind as himself. Christ is also in us. It's a two-way relationship. Two ways. I want to share just a couple verses with you that um, hopefully will drive this point home, that not only are we resting in Christ, that we're part of his body, that we're seated right now with Christ by the Father in the heavenly places, that in Christ God sees us as justified and reconciled and sinless and blameless, as it talks about in the book of Job, because we're in Christ, that because we're in Christ, when God sees us, he sees his Son Got that, don't you? Wonderful as that is. But Christ is also in us. He lives in us. He dwells in us. He he inhabits us. And he does it, of course, in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit, who he says in John 14 is just like him. I will not leave you as orphans. So what are you going to do? I'm going to come to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you, and I'm going to reveal myself to all of you at the same time forever in the presence of the third person of the Trinity. Watch this. John 15, 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him. Really? No, no, wait a second. I understand the importance of me resting in you and abiding in you and living in you and being in Christ. But there's a second caveat here. There's a second part of this condition. He who rests and abides in me and I who rest and abide and dwell in him bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. Get the point? There's a... There's a connection here. There's a relationship that's taking place. And that relationship is all of me to him and all of him to me. I may hold back some of me, but he gives me all of him. These unsearchable riches of Christ. Another classic passage, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but some entity now lives in me. Christ himself lives in me. doesn't say the Holy Spirit lives in me. doesn't say the presence of God lives in me. The Holy Spirit was very clear when he was speaking to Paul in the book of Galatians to make sure that as a relatable part of the Godhead that they had experienced in the flesh, that this is who lives in you. Theologically, it's the Holy Spirit, but it's also Christ. Christ lives in you. So the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount, 
the Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Jesus at the Last Supper, the Jesus that I can relate to, the Jesus I feel comfortable with, the Jesus I can talk to, the Jesus I could, like John, lean my head against his chest and and ask him a personal question. Who is it, Lord, that's going to betray you? You mean that Jesus, that person of the Trinity that I feel so connected to actually lives in me? Yes. Yes. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because of the the presence of his Holy Spirit. I mean, (laughs) again, we feel, let me phrase it. You may feel differently. I feel comfortable praying to God the Father. That's the way I was taught growing up. Dear Heavenly Father, weren't you? The Lord's Prayer, Our Father. Of course, it's being prayed by Jesus, but he's teaching the disciples how to pray. I feel comfortable praying to Jesus because I have a vision of what he looks like. I have a, In my mind's eye, I, can, I know his personality from what I see in Scripture. I've, I've read the red letter over and over and over again. I saw how we talked to Paul in the book of Acts and, and others. I, I, I got that. I feel really comfortable. Probably more comfortable praying to Jesus than I do God the Father because when I try to get a mental vision of God the Father, for me it's, it's Mount Sinai and smoke and, and lightning and that's just, that's just me. The Holy Spirit? That's just, that's a hard one for me. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to, to, I know he's there, I know what he does, I've learned all about him, I know his gifts, but he's presented to us as like a non-personal entity. He's not in flesh and blood because he uses your flesh and blood to make his home there. And we see more like his power and how he moves. And, and I've noticed as I've been in church most of my life that when people pray about the Holy Spirit, they pray about him as some sort of tangible power that emanates from God. Lord, give us the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. I don't want the presence of the Holy Spirit. I just want you know, what's in his candy box. I just want what comes with him. I just want his gifts. And so Jesus understands all that. The, the, the Lord understands all that. And so we find that over and over again in Scripture, in these very familiar passages, it's communicated to us that this person who lives in you, defined as the Holy Spirit, is also Christ, who is also God the Father. Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because I and my Father are one. And then Jesus says, I will send you the Holy Spirit who is just like me. And these verses just solidify the fact that it's it's not just me resting in him, which is wonderful. But better than that, it's him resting in me and residing in me and inhabiting me and making me his home. Colossians 1.27. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is the mystery of the glory, the, the, the manifold wisdom of God? What is it? It's Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. I mean, we see this in, in Ephesians. I told you I'm... I'm still, I'm still dwelling on the unsearchable riches of Christ. And when I get beyond that, I'll send out another email. But I'm just, I'm mesmerized by that. What is this? 
What are the unsearchable riches of Christ? The mystery that he wanted to make known to the Gentiles. It is Christ in you. Not me in him, which is incredible, but him in you. The hope of glory. Does Christ live in you? If you're saved, he does. Can I relate to the Lord Jesus more than I can the Holy Spirit? You may be different. I'm just talking for myself. Answer, absolutely. Absolutely. Because he was revealed to me as a man. Like I'm a man. Someone I can, I can relate to. Someone that went through everything that I've gone through. Not some impersonal power sent by God on Mount Sinai, but someone who struggles just like I am. And he did not leave me as an orphan. He's with me and in me as I am in him. Let me just go through a couple more pretty quick. And if, or since and because, Christ is in you, the word is, if you'll notice, it's italicized, because in your Bible it's italicized because it's not included in the original. It's added so that the sentence would flow a little better. What it says is, for if Christ in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Another indication of Christ in you. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Look at yourself to see what is the proof of your salvation. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? The test of faith, the security of salvation, is found in the fact that Christ exists in you, unless you indeed you are disqualified. And there's an invitation he gives. You know, again, we've watched The Chosen three or four different times. And how blessed it would be to be one of his disciples and walk up and down the the way with Jesus. Would it not? It'd be incredible. You know, we go to the wedding in Cana. It's really great. He heals this leper guy. That's fantastic. We meet the woman at the well in Samaria, and the whole town comes out, and, and people are getting saved. And it's just wonderful for all that stuff to take place. But then Jesus was going to be gone. Jesus was going to leave. And he's training his disciples on what it means to, to be in him and for him to be in you. And he left them just like he's leaving us now, has left us now. He left us with himself inside of us to teach us and guide us and instruct us. So here's the invitation. There's two of them in Scripture. And I said, this is the last time we're going to be talking about this. It's an invitation that the Lord lays out to every one of us. It's the invitation I want to lay out for you. To give you peace and serenity and power in the life that we live now in the flesh on this earth. Invitation number one is found in Matthew chapter 11. And here's what he says. Come to me. And then he qualifies those people he's talking to. All you who labor and are heavy laden. And then if you do come to me, that's the if part of this if-then promise, then there is the gift that comes from coming to him. And I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. All you who do not wake up in the morning and go, ta-da! And I will give you rest. All right, I want to know what this means, so let's quickly just define a couple terms here. The invitation. Come to me. Who? 
all. By the way, that includes you. That, that includes you. Jesus is saying, come to me all, not just a certain denomination, not just people who live a sinless life or a life better than you think you're living, not just people who have conquered all their known sins and their hidden sins and don't struggle like we're struggling, not those who have made vows to the Lord or promises to the Lord and have broken them, not those that have ever uttered his name in vain, but all. Come to me all, you who labor, Labor. The word means to be worn out, to be fatigued, to be faint, to be weary. Man, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of, of the situations in my life. It's, it's, Lord, you promised not to put on me more, allow to be put on me more than I can handle, but I'm absolutely overwhelmed to the point of being crushed. I'm not doing anything well. I'm failing at everything. I, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm, I'm constantly bombarded by these thoughts of doubts and fears and I'm intimidated and Satan seems so big and strong in front of me, staring me down. Lord, I don't know if I can put one foot in front of another. I am war flat out. Jesus says, come unto me, all who labor and are heavily laden. The imagery here is of putting freight on a ship. And you're putting freight on a ship to the point that it can't even contain it anymore and it's beginning to sink. I've taken on way too much. I've taken on more than I could possibly take on. I'm overloaded. I'm heavily burdened. I'm, I'm about to sink. Again, going back to the movie The Chosen, at, at the end of, I guess it's episode four, they have the deal where they catch all these fish you know, uh, uh, Peter catches all these fish and, and they're pulling up James and John's boat and they're in the boat and it's filled to the brim and all of a sudden you can hear it start creaking. And I don't know if that was in the script or if that's really what just happened in the boat when they were filming this. And, and the son of Zebedee, or James, James and John's father says, get out of the boat, get out of the boat, it's going to sink. It's exactly what you're talking about here. You're, I'm absolutely, I'm going down. Because I've taken on too much. I'm overload. I'm burdened. I'm wore out. I'm fighting this battle. I'm, I'm taking on stuff that belongs to the Lord. What am I supposed to do? Come unto me, invitation, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I, just Christ, not self-help books, not you, not your friends or your neighbors, not the prevailing wisdom of this world, Nothing. And I will give as a gift, as a, as a benefit of being a child of his, as a, a privilege because you're in Christ, I will give you, you, personal rest. And the word rest here doesn't necessarily mean to crash for 8 to 12 hours. I will give you cease from labor. You were wore out. You are overly burdened. You are heavenly laden. Your ship is about to sink. And I will allow you to cease from that burden, cease from that labor, cease from all that, that trying. I will refresh you, relax you. I will loosen the bounds that you've covered yourself with. I will bring you peace and rest. It's an invitation. Come unto me, all you who labor, 
under heavy laden, and the Lord says, I will give you rest. How does that happen? It's, it's what it means to abide in Him. It's what it means to rest in Him. It, it's what it means to be in Christ, but allowing the Christ in you and the presence of the Holy Spirit to carry those burdens for you or to chuck them from you so you don't have to mess with them anymore. Oh, no, Lord, you can't do that. I gave my word. Or it's just a responsibility that I had. I placed myself up under the law. Well, you're free from that now because I'm going to teach you how to cease from striving and cease from labor. It, it shows us the joy that comes from surrendering our life to a sovereign God as a dependent, which is what Paul called himself, a bond slave, a doulos. So how is that done? I mean, is there, do I have to come to the front of the church and say some prayer? Do I have to... Um, do I have to like go through some class? Do I read a book? Do I do I shake a preacher's hand? Is it a mental thing? Do I just basically make some resolution? Okay, from this day forward, that's it. I'm just going to I'm not going to worry about that anymore. And then you find those worry thoughts keep coming into your mind and you don't know what to do about it. Or is it some sort of mantra? Like the little kid's book, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And if I keep saying that over and over again, somehow to become real to me, I'm going to fake it till I make it. I mean, how does that even happen? How do you rest in him? Now listen carefully. He's already provided for us the means to rest in him. He has called us into a relationship with him of serenity and of servitude and of dependence to him as a loving father does his children. Why are you worried, son, about whether or not I'm going to make the mortgage payment? You're only eight years old. I will take care of that. You just come and and learn about being a child. You just learn from me. You just relax. I mean, it's not something that we have to do. It's something we have to be willing to do and willing to allow him to complete that transaction. Make sense? That's why I talked about for two weeks, maybe three weeks, how the importance of desire. I have a desire to surrender my life to him. I just don't know how to do it. Well, he does. And he will show you day by day, step by step, hour by hourly areas that you need to surrender. And if you're like me, you'll trust him and take it back and then trust him a little bit longer and take it back. And, and then eventually you'll rest it with him and you'll experience this joy that only he can provide. It's not a burden like, oh, now I have to surrender my life to the Lord. Oh, I'm so worried about that because I know I'm going to fail. And now I'm, I'm loaded up with a burden of guilt because of something I know I'm not going to be able to do and I know I should do. And, and that's exactly the opposite of what he's talking about here. Cease from striving. Cease from worrying. Cease from fretting and trying to do it your own way. Just rest in him. I don't have an agenda. I don't, uh, you know, what happens tomorrow is really up to him. And so I'm just going to rest in him. He is sovereign. 
And if I lose all my money, I lose all my money. I hate for that to happen. But if it happens, God is sovereign. If, if, if he blesses me with a whole lot of money, that's great. I can just bless other people. If, if my family goes through turmoil, well, God, you're there with us. And, and that's, that's what happens because you want the world to see that we suffer just like lost people suffer. It's not like we have this cone of protection about us that none of us get cancer. None of us have marital problems or relationship problems. None of us make bad decisions. So if you follow Christ, then he lets you live in candy land. It's not that way at all. We struggle sometimes more so than the lost world does because we got Satan beaten down on us, but the lost world sees that Christ is real by how we persevere under his love. True? It's a desire. Lord, this is what I want. I hunger and thirst after your righteousness. And Jesus says, if you do that, you will be filled. Not that you earned it or you acquired it yourself. Part two. How is that done? This is the second invitation of Christ. And it's this. Abide in me and I in you. If you want to know how to experience this serenity that comes with Christ, then you rest and not worry and dwell in him and you let him dwell in you. It's a twofold relationship. You can't do one part and expect to have all the benefits if the other part doesn't come. Or Christ can't do his part if you don't do your part. It kind of works together. That I will abide in him. I will rest in him. I will trust him for temporal things, just like I trust him for eternal things, and then I will recognize the fact that he also abides in me. And implied here is the same word. If you look at John 15, you'll find about every other verse, you find the word abide, 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 abide. I mean, what does that mean? It's really simple. It means to remain, to dwell, to live. It means to make one home or to be united with one, a heart, mind, and will. So I will make my home in Christ. I will live in Christ. I will just trust Christ. And I will be united with Christ in heart, mind, and will. Well, no, no, I will be united with Christ in mind when he thinks like I think, and he wants what I want, and in in, in will, when his will is what my will is, you will never rest and be unburdened from your labors if you have that attitude. The scripture says that we are to have the mind of Christ. We're to cast all our cares and our worries at his feet. That we're to pray without ceasing for the things that bother us because he cares for us. That we have a heavenly father and a Lord Jesus Christ who lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit who is well equipped to carry everything that we think we have to carry ourselves. Well, that just sounds weak. Really? Try it. Try it. See how weak it is. It is the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life. Because our entire culture has this John Wayne Rambo kind, I don't need no help kind of idea. And we've kind of grown up that way. If I get in a bind, God will ask you for some help. And until then, just leave me alone. I mean, it doesn't work that way at all. To surrender all that to him. 
to trust him to tell you what to do when you think you know what to do. And you know now, and he hasn't told you yet. And to wait on him? Maybe not for you. For me, that's gut-wrenching. I mean, it's horrific. Because, come on. Come on. Come on, I got this. Really? It's not about you getting it, Steve. It's about me doing it through you on my timetable. I am the Lord, you are the slave. I am the Father, you are the Son. Okay. And so I have to wait beyond, and he may not make you wait, he makes me wait because I hate to wait. And it's, anyway, it's resting in him. There's a, we'll turn to John 15 real quick. I just want to show you how this works out here. Verse 4. Abide in me. Later on in verse 5, unless it abides in the vine. Verse 5, he who abides in me. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me. Verse 7, if you abide in me. Uh, and my word abides in you. Verse number 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain. The word remain there is the same Greek word for abide. Resting and abiding and resting and abiding. So, second question. What is the, what is the way of rest? How can we learn just to trust the Lord in everything. And we find, of course, this in, in, in the book of John. So I want you to turn to John 13, and what I want you to do is just see the context of what he's saying here in uh, John. And we're not going to go through the whole passage, we're just going to look at a few selected verses. John 13 through 17 is one long event that takes place. Jesus is in the upper room. He's with his disciples. He begins washing their feet. He begins teaching them. They have the Lord's Supper. Judas betrays him. They leave the upper room. They head out the eastern gate, cross the Kidron Valley, up into the Mount of Olives to where they have the, the Jesus praying in the garden. And all of this that we find, four chapters of unbelievable truth about the Lord found only in John all takes place at that particular point in time. And then you have to understand the imagery that he's using. What he's using here is a vine and branches. Let me see if I can show you this real quick. This is a vine. All of it. It is the stalk it is the leaves, it is the fruit, and it is the branches that hold the fruit. All of that is the vine. All of it. He goes on to, this is another picture of a vine. These are taken, this is, these are vines in Israel. As you can see, this is part of the vine, that's part of the vine. All these leaves are part of the vine. They have wires here to keep the vine going upright. You have to remove the leaves so they don't block the fruit or the buds. I mean, it's a very labor-intensive kind of uh, uh, farming to be able to produce grapes. In this picture right here, this is after a pruning takes place. There is no fruit. They're cutting all this foliage here that doesn't do anything but just uh, take away from what's needed to produce the fruit. All of this is the vine. This guy and this guy are vine dressers. They're going through and they're 
uh, doing what they can with the vine in order to produce the grapes. And when the grapes come, it's those two guys and the guys that's paying them and owns the vineyard that gets benefit from that. So that's the imagery when Jesus starts speaking here. So turn to John chapter 15. And let me just get this really quickly. There's some players that are listed here. And here's what he says. I am the vine. Jesus says he is the vine. He is everything that you see above ground and below ground. He is the roots. He is the, the trunk. He is the, uh, the leaves. He is the grape. He is the branches. He is the buds. He is everything. I am the vine. My father, of course, is separate. My father's the vine dresser. My father's the one that prunes the vine. My brother's, my father's the one that collects the grapes. My father is the one that makes sure the vine is watered. My father takes care of the vine. I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Then he goes on to say, again, in verse number five, I am the vine, and he says that you and I, as believers in Christ, are part of that vine. We are not the roots, we are not the trunk, we're not the leaves, we're not the buds, we're not the fruit, we're simply the branches. The, the most least important here. I mean, the leaves go through that photosynthesis stuff. You remember that in high school? You know, and the, and the sun comes in and carbon, you know, carbon dioxide goes out and it, it, whatever, and, you know, it did, creates energy or whatever it is for the uh, for the fruit and and the roots are down there and they're bringing up moisture and all that kind of stuff and the trunk gives it stability and then you have this these beautiful fruit and all a vine does is this it just hangs there it doesn't produce anything it doesn't it doesn't transform oxygen and carbon dioxide and sunlight into some sort of nutrient. It doesn't acquire water from the ground. It just hangs there. But it's been given the incredible blessing of being able to hang there and bear the fruit. The trunk doesn't bear the fruit. The leaves don't bear the fruit. The roots don't bear the fruit. Only this part of the vine produces the fruit. And the whole purpose of the vine is to produce fruit. Not shade, not potatoes, but just fruit. I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So the imagery Christ is giving us here is that you and I have a purpose in life. We have something that we're equipped to do. We have the only thing that we're equipped to do, the only reason why we're part of the vine, we're part of the body of Christ, the only reason why he saved us and redeemed us and gives us the privilege of, of being connected to him is to be able to bear his fruit. So what is my purpose in life? Here, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. The purpose of my life and the purpose of your life and the purpose of life on this earth is not to build kingdoms and castles to ourselves. It's not to make sure our life is really comfortable. It's not to, to somehow make ourselves noteworthy in this world so people remember us when we're gone or build big edifices and put our names on it. No, the purpose of life as a believer is simply to bear more fruit. But it gets better. Because in John 15, 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, 
that you bear much fruit. So we've gone from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. My Father is glorified now that you bear much fruit. And if you do bear much fruit, you prove to the world out there that you truly are my disciples. He goes on to say, the only way that we bear that true, bear that fruit is to stay connected to him, to have his nutrients, his Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the peace and joy and everything that comes from being united with the vine and united with Christ for us to receive everything that we have from him, not from the world, but from him. When we cut ourselves off from the vine, we we shrivel up and die. And as he goes on to say in here, the, the vine dresser picks us up, throws us in a heap to be burned as something worthless. Well, isn't there value in a branch that's not connected to the vine? No, because the only purpose of a branch is to bear fruit. That's it. It's not to get bigger. It's not to get stronger. It's not to have more leaves than anybody else. It's to simply bear fruit. And the fruit is determined, and the amount of fruit is determined by the vine for the Father's glory. And it says that if we stay connected to him, his desire is for us to bear more fruit and even much fruit. It's our dependent relationship to him. Abide in me, and I in you. You stay connected to the vine, but I have to bring the nutrients to produce the fruit from myself into you. I have to be in you, and you have to be connected to me. If you are connected to me and nothing comes from me to you, you will bear no fruit and be pruned. Because in harvesting vines and preparing them for the next season, dead wood just takes Vital resources that can be used to bear fruit for no possible purpose. So you're cut. That's what the scripture says. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot, cannot on its own bear fruit. You may do good things. You may help old ladies cross the street and you may give money to charities and you may do the things that other Christians do, but there's no spiritual fruit behind it. There's no glory to the Father about that. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me and rest in me. Why? Because I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I, of course, letting myself, the power of the Holy Spirit, have control over your life and funnel your life in simply a fruit-bearing branch and I in him, bears much fruit, because without me, no matter how hard you try, and how hard you strive, and how hard you work, and how hard you get on that treadmill, without me you can do not as well as if I was with you, but you can do nothing. Nothing. So, what's the blessing? I need you to really get hold of this. Because if you don't, next Sunday will be just like this Sunday. You know, though, yeah, that was really interesting. I, I need, I guess I need to do stuff like that, but, but it's really hard to carry with you your cross and surrender yourself 
daily, is it not? Here's the blessing. The branch does not produce the fruit. He doesn't. The branch does not secure the nutrients necessary to produce the fruit. The branch does not position the buds to get more light from the sun. The branch does not prune the dead wood. The branch does not provide water or sunlight. The branch does not participate in the harvesting. The branch does none of that. None of that. We sometimes want to do this kind of stuff. We want to take this responsibility to ourselves. We want to be heavy laden and burdened and do things we were never equipped to do. The branch's job is simply to rest and abide and bear whatever the vine gives us for the Father's glory. That's the only purpose of a branch. It's the only purpose of you and I. It's not to build a big business. It's not to not to restore relationships. It's not to do any of those things. Those are byproducts of abiding in Him. They can't be the focus of our life. But the branch only bears the work of the vine for the glory of the vine dresser. The branch doesn't bear fruit it created. It doesn't even bear fruit for its own benefit. It only bears fruit for the benefit of the vine dresser. And note this, the vine dresser and the vine allow the glory of the harvest to be held by the grapes who did nothing. In the harvest, they never say this, wow, look at the leaves on that vine. Or look at this root structure of that vine. Or look how strong the stalk is on this vine. No, it's always about the fruit. The fruit the vine produces, but you and I are able to bear. And so we do good works. So our people praise our Father who is in heaven, but those good works are germinated and empowered by the Holy Spirit Christ himself who lives inside of us. You and I have that blessing. When you share your faith with somebody, it is a sovereign act of God when they get saved. True? But you are part of that. You were able to, to bear the fruits of salvation that God used you as a branch to be able to bring someone else into his kingdom. Hallelujah, Lord. I can't take credit for that, but thank you for allowing me to to be obedient to you, and to somehow bear your fruit. It's all about Him. All about glorifying Him. It's like, what would Jesus do? We, we are the beneficiaries of work done by another, for the glory of another, provided in us by another. And it is the most marvelous thing in the world to be able to bear more fruit and go from more fruit to much fruit. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He who, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruits, he prunes, cutting away more of your life that's that is unnecessary, that takes away from the fruit that he has, that it may bear more fruit. And then he goes on to say that you will not only bear more fruit, but you will bear much fruit. Why is this important? I'll close with this. The key to everything Christ has provided for us, 
everything is found in a dependent branch divine relationship to him. A dependent relationship. As an entrepreneur, as a capitalist, as people who believe, you know, I picked myself up from my own bootstraps and hard work and dedication will get me where I am and all that kind of stuff, which is just who we are. To be dependent upon anybody is anathema. I mean, I hate the thought of that. Because I want to flout my independence in front of a holy God? I mean, how crazy is that? It's a dependent relationship with Him. I know, but I've tried. Well, but you don't have to try. Because God would not invite us and command us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do. I mean, it's, if, you look at a, if you look at a branch, a branch doesn't come from space and attach itself to a vine with superglue. A branch grows from the vine and it begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger and the more it's trusted and the more it holds on, the stronger it gets and the more fruit it bears, the, the bigger the branch gets and the more useful it gets. It's the Even the creation of the branch and the ability to hold the branch onto the vine comes from the vine and not the branch. Our job is to quit striving and to just rest and trust and be centered in Him. I do want you to know that the stuff we've been talking about is not just a pipe dream. It's a life that you can have, and you can have today. It's a life that God's prepared for you. It's a life that Christ died to give you, this abundant life in Christ. And all it takes is your willingness to again offer your body the seed of your lust and your pride and your, your desires as a living sacrifice to him. And let him begin this transformation process in you by renewing you, by changing the way you think about everything. And what happens if you do that? What happens? You bear, you bear more fruit and you bear much fruit, which is what Jesus called the abundant life to experience in him. And as that abundant life, doing exactly what you were called to do, bearing fruit and much more fruit, you will then become, experience what it means not to be damaged, but experience what it means to be absolutely complete in Him, because I now possess as my own, with Christ in me, these unsearchable riches of Christ that are beyond comprehension. So much so, that I know that he is able to do abundantly beyond what I ask or even conceive in my mind through him. And why? Because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Again, last time we're going to be talking about this for a while unless it pops up again or the Lord leads in that direction. But today's the day. If you haven't taken the time to sit down an hour, two hours, whatever it takes, just just whatever you've got to do this afternoon, don't do it. And spend some time with him. Well, you know, I've got, I've got, this is the afternoon I do this. Well, change. It doesn't really matter. And spend some time with him. And just tell him you're willing. God, I'm willing. I'm going to increase my faith. 
Teach me how to pray. Show me what you'd have me do. Let me be able to bear your fruit. Lord, whatever's necessary, whatever pruning needs to be done, whatever cutting out of my life that's distracting me from the fruit you want to bear, whatever needs to be done, Lord, you promised that you would prune me in order that I bear more fruit, not just to hurt me, but to bear more fruit because you are the sovereign one. You are the, you are the benevolent one. You are my dad. And ask him to be willing to do that in your life. And he will. He will. And it'll be, let me phrase, I don't know what your experience with life will be like. My experience has been a couple steps forward and then I stumble. And so I just, you know, if I just stumble forward, then every time I stumble, I'm still moving forward five feet 11 at a time. You know, so okay, boom, boom. The direction is towards Christ likeness. Expect perfection? Don't. Don't. None of us is perfect. Only he is perfect. But the fact is that whatever you lack, whatever you need is found in the vine. And so you surrender that part to him. You receive his nutrients. You're stayed attached to him. That's all your job is, to remain in him and then let him bear more fruit and much fruit in your life. And things will radically change in everything. Amen? Let me pray.